Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, my man, how's everything going? Everything is going uh, pretty well today, Steve. How about yourself? You know, I'm doing pretty good. It's, it's a nice, cool day. Got my run in. Haven't failed at anything yet today. So it's a good day. Well, that's a good interlude to the start of today's show. We're, uh, we're talking about failure. So before we dive into failure, let's, um, let's do a quick plug for our Patreon. If you're new to the show, then welcome. If you've been listening for a long time, welcome back. We're trying really hard to keep this show 100% independent and member-funded, which means that we're not taking money from sponsors. And a big part of the reason is that so many of the companies that throw money at podcasts like this tend to have products and services that don't really align with our simple, not easy, nail-the-basics, evidence-based approach to performance, health, and well-being. So to help us keep this podcast sustainable in that manner, we encourage you all to check out our Patreon, which is at www.patreon.com slash thegrowthequation. For anywhere between $5 to $20 a month, you get all kinds of exclusive content, including a monthly book club where we bring in best-selling authors for live discussions, a quarterly mastermind group, exclusive guides to the building blocks of sustainable performance and resilience, and all kinds of other neat stuff. So if you want to support the show and you want to get a great value for doing so, head over to our Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash the growth equation. And Steve said that he hasn't failed yet today. That's the best freaking Patreon ad read we've ever done. So I am feeling super successful right now. But, or and... That won't last for very long. See, I just failed in the transition. I said, but, but I should have said, and. So here we are. I've failed today in a very small way, but we're going to talk about failure in a more serious way. What to do when you fail, how to conceptualize failure, how to move forward from failure, and how to integrate the experiences of failure into your life, not so that you won't fail in the future, but so that you'll continue to grow, learn, and thrive. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Steve to open us up with a framework for today's conversation on failure. All right. You know, I I love talking about failure because often what happens is we have this mindset that it is a negative and we see it as a threat. And whenever we see things as a threat, then we default to what I'd call self-protection mode, survival mode where we say, oh my gosh, I failed at this, or this didn't go the way I needed to, so I need to protect my sense of self, my identity, my sense of competency, all of these things, right? So I think really, when we look at failure, what we should do is address it from the top to the bottom, right? How do you deal with those moments of failure? How do you have or what is the right framework or mindset? And then what do you do to kind of bounce back or, as you said, integrate it into your life? So 
to to start, as you said, at the very top, something that I find to be really helpful, and this is so easy to say and so hard to do, is conceptualize your ultimate goal is living a meaningful life that you can be proud of. And if you can do that, even if you can do that 60% of the time, then no failure becomes an end game because the only end game is when you die. So if you have a goal in life to be an Olympic champion or the CEO of a company or a best-selling author, and you don't reach that goal, you are going to be really miserable because your brain has been hooked onto that thing. If you have a goal to be as strong as possible, as kind as possible, as wise as possible, as intellectual as possible, then those failures are simply milestones that you missed along the way and that you can learn from. So to me, it really starts with a mindset shift away from any acute goal this is back to our goal setting episode from a few weeks ago, and towards the broader goal of some of these attributes, qualities, core values that you take with you and you try to build out throughout your whole life. Now, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't care about playing those smaller games along the way. You should, but it helps so much to have the perspective of the big game. Um, a professor of religious studies and philosophy named James P. Kars wrote a book in the late 70s called Infinite Games. And in it, he said that there's two kinds of games. There are finite games where there are winners and losers, and the goal is to win. And then there are infinite games where the goal is to keep playing. I think that when it comes to failure, it's good to have your ultimate self-esteem, self-worth goal to be an infinite game. So for me, it's just to become a better, kinder, wiser person. The end. I cannot fail at that until I die. Finite games are the things along the way. Write a best-selling book. Deadlift 500 pounds. Get Steve to move to Asheville. These things I can win or lose at, but just knowing that it's not the end of me when I lose makes failing easier. All right. Now, a lot of people might say, well, that sounds great. That's all woo-woo, Brad. Good for you to say that, but I need to get promoted or else I'm going to feel like I'm messed up or I'm competing in the winter games here in just a couple of months and you're telling me about you know, the infinite game, but I got an important finite game. Are you saying I shouldn't care? No, I'm saying that you should still care deeply, right? This is just step one. But even if it takes the edge off by 1%, that 1% creates some space. So to me, that's the highest level to think about the path towards failing productively. Yeah, you know, I think you mentioned a key word there, which is space. And when we're pursuing something, especially at a high level, the space between what we do and pursue and who we are and our sense of self becomes very, very constricted, small, narrow. And the the less space we have in there, then the more we are susceptible to the swings of emotion and affect and states and all that that come with either succeeding or failure. Because we are tied to the thing, the pursuit, the whatever it is. And I think... 
In some ways, again, that allows us to put in a ton of effort. It allows us to go deep. It allows us to really, you know, get shit done because the thing matters a lot. But we have to be very careful when that space is too small because, again, then we are susceptible to the wild swings. And what we're trying to do is find the appropriate amount of space a little bit more. And I think, Brad, what you're saying here on this big picture, which is important, is we're not saying, hey, like, don't care about what you do. Don't care about what you pursue. We're saying the tendency for most people who are probably listening to this podcast is to be a pusher. The tendency for most people living in especially the Western capitalistic world is to put a high degree of value into success, especially external markers of status and success. That's fine. Acknowledge it. But then we have to counterbalance that a little bit because we know everything societally, success-wise, etc., is pulling us to that narrow, constricted space between our identity and what we're pursuing. So we got to counterbalance that by having a little bit of space. One of the ways is what Brad mentioned, like shift your goals. Another way is... Um, to do what I like to call go from being a two-dimensional character and focused on one thing and the world is flat and simple to having a little bit more nuance and being a three-dimensional character. What does that mean? Make sure that, yeah, you know, if pursuing your goal is important, all that good stuff, that's great. But you got to diversify your sense of meaning, your sense of self, all of that good stuff. You got to be able to have to pull from more than just, you know, your job, your work, your athletic pursuit. You got to have other other points, because if you have diversity and meaning, you have other points to where you can look and say, hey, I'm competent or whatever in the world. Then if you, quote unquote, fail even at the thing that you care a lot about, you don't spiral. You don't lose everything. You have other places, other secure foundations and needs to kind of latch on to in those those tough moments. The only thing I would add is as much. You don't spiral as much. So now let's get into those acute failures because... Even if you have that high-level context dialed in, as Steve and I have just suggested, it still hurts a lot when you fail at something that you care deeply about, even if it's just a finite game. And there are some listeners that might say, great, Brad and Steve, you know, my parents fuck that one up along the way, and I'm hearing this for the first time as I'm failing at something, so <laughs> that advice doesn't sit right now. Um, so let's talk about in the moment. And... I think that this is where the role of self-compassion comes in. So what does self-compassion mean? Compassion means to suffer with, and self means to suffer with yourself. So it is all about creating a space that you can suffer and that you can be kind to yourself while you do so. Now, what does that mean? Non-judgment to me is the first thing. Whatever you're feeling, you're feeling. The worst thing that you can do to someone that's in a bad hole is to say, well, you know, there are children that are starving in Syria right now. 
That might be true, but when someone is just in the thick of it, when they failed, when they're miserable, all of it that does is make that person judge themselves more for feeling so bad when there are children starving in Syria right now. So in addition to feeling so bad because you failed, now you feel even worse because you're judging yourself for feeling bad. So the first thing is non-judgment. Whatever you're feeling in the moment is what you're feeling. The second thing is to give yourself permission to feel that those things that you're feeling. Now, if it gets really bad and you get to a point where you're overwhelmed by despair or you have thoughts of self-harm, that's when it's time to explain it to somebody that you know and trust and potentially bring in professional help. That's out of the scope for today's conversation. Now, you've not judged yourself for feeling what you're feeling. You're giving yourself time and space to feel those things. This is where what Steve and I call the 48-hour rule comes in. And I think it can technically be the 24-hour rule, the 72-hour rule, probably even all the way up to the one-week rule, which says that the self-compassionate thing to do is to give yourself the time to feel your feelings and not judge yourself, but then after a certain amount of time, get back to doing the thing itself. If you wanted to have a best-selling book and it didn't hit, get back to writing. If you wanted to win a gold medal and you didn't, get back to training. If you wanted to secure funding for your company and you didn't, get back to revising the pitch book. Start the next company. And having that boundary that forces you to get back going is so important. And I want to say one more thing to make this super explicit. Starting right away is not good because then you repress all those feelings of hurt and pain and anger. Giving yourself a month, two months, a year is not good because then that inertia of the rut can really take over and it becomes a lot harder to break out of. So it's about giving yourself some time to stew, some time to feel bad, and then having a deadline where mood follows action. As we always talk about, you might not feel good, but you force yourself to get back going doing the thing itself. So that are, or excuse me, those are my initial thoughts about failing acutely in the moment. And then phone a friend, right? Like this is what friends are for. Um, The minute that you feel like you're buried, just call someone and explain what you're going through. And that immediately takes the edge off. All right. Brad goes deep on the feelings. I'm going to go deep on the biology. How did I guess? That's what we do here. So um, before getting into the biology, I think it's important. I think we have a to note that we have a societal problem because we do not teach people how to lose. There is there is a way to lose well. And Brad just outlined some of the things and I'll outline some others. Um, and I think it's important because especially in sports, we put so much emphasis on like learning how to win, et cetera. We ignore, don't talk about losing. There's a way to lose that allows you to, A, integrate the loss and deal with it better, and then also bounce back. So let's talk about the biology. What happens if we lose? Well, if we look at the hormones, right, when we fail, especially when that failure means something to us or is important to our identity, we have essentially a stress response. Cortisol goes up, testosterone goes down we start that pushes us towards avoidance of things right because we're super stressed we avoid instead of approaching or dealing with the thing now this is very acutely 
the magnitude of that response is again dependent on how threatening that loss is to your sense of self, your ego, all of that good stuff. Okay, so we get it. High stress response, low testosterone. Now think about that, okay, in terms of what do we do? Okay, when we're super stressed, I like to call it our our kind of irrational brain comes online, right? And we can't see things clearly and we have a tendency towards spiraling. So if we get more negative news, if we get someone who, like Brad said, um, tries to comfort us in the wrong ways, all that does is push us down. So in the immediate aftermath of losing, you need to do whatever you need to do to get you out of the stress response mode and back to a somewhat neutral space so that you can rationally work your way through things. So get out of the spiral, get out of the high cortisol, get into um, get to, into a, a mental space where you can deal with it. How do you do that? Some of that is what Brad just talked about. Compassion, you know, phone a friend, spend time with others. In sporting contests, contexts, I like to say the best thing is the cool down after the game if you lost or the meal after the game because that can shift you out of that kind of stress threat mode very easily, very quickly, brings you back to normal. Once you're at normal, then we can look at integrating, right, and dealing with the thing. So (laughs) a lot of it is in those very first moments is get yourself out of threat mode. Get yourself out of, oh, I just lost some status and all of this good stuff or all this bad stuff, I got to get to a place where I can deal with it um, rationally. And and then you can start thinking about, okay, what does this failure mean? How do I, how do I integrate it into my life? How do I move on from it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I, um, I also think that, when you kind of pair the psychology and the biology together, what we're ultimately pointing at, and it's back to a word that Steve said earlier, is space. So psychologically, you're creating space to hold feelings. And biologically, you're creating space in your brain and in your body to kind of let all the neurochemicals and hormones that come with failure rise and fall. And if you try to short circuit that process, it messes it up. And if you let that process go on for too long before cutting it off, it starts to become entrenched. So um, I think that that was a really nice little combination of the the psychology and the biology around failure. Now, you often hear stuff like fail forward and you need to fail to really be great at something. I think that's true. I don't think, again, it's what you want to hear in the moment when you're failing, but we know, for example, that the age of the most successful entrepreneurs tends not to be 25, but in fact, 45. And a big reason for that is they've failed a couple of times. They've lived life and you gain wisdom from those experiences of failure. We know that in sport, while your career is compressed because raw talent and physical capacity matters more. Most people don't peak 
at 22 or 23 or 19, even if for their sport, that's when they are physically best. Most people's peak trails, they're physically being the best by a few years. And why is that? Well, because you gain experience. You gain experience from failure, from making mistakes, from doing things wrong. So this almost combines that top level view with the in the weeds view where when you're in the weeds, you don't want to hear it. But if you can just remind yourself that, hey, like I am gaining wisdom in this process, that's really beneficial. And if you don't feel like you're gaining wisdom in the moment, then okay, forget it. Let the wisdom come on the other side. Your job is just to deal with what you're feeling and get through. So I often have this mental model of these two curves. And perhaps I've talked about it on this podcast a long time ago, where one curve is what I call raw talent. So if you're in a creative endeavor, it's your ability to have breakthrough insight. If you're in a athletic endeavor, it's your size and speed and um, and force production. If you are in business, it's your ability to problem solve and think really quickly on the fly. Those curves all slope down depending on whether it's sport, art, or business, anywhere starting from between about 22, 23 to 28. Our brains and bodies get a little bit slower, whether we like it or not. It's a bell curve, but on average, let's say between 22 and 28. There's this other curve that slopes up, which is the wisdom curve. And that is stuff like pattern recognition and ability to learn your body and mind and experiencing failure and learning from those things. And that curve goes up as we age. And in most pursuits, you're at your best right around the time that those two curves cross. So I think it's really important to remember that failure has a place on that upward curve. Now, does this mean that if you're 60 and you're failing, that all hope is lost? No, but it might mean, depending on what you do, that at 60, yeah, your goal is not to run a company. Maybe your goal is to be a mentor where you really rely heavily on that wisdom that comes from failure. Between 78 and 80, your goal probably ought not to be to run for president, despite what we see, at least in the United States of America right now. Your goal probably ought to be in a role that demands a lot less quick switching and more wisdom and mentoring. So scheming out to that big goal of eventually you're going to die, as you get older, you ought to try to put yourself in roles that rely more on wisdom and that requires failing a lot. Yeah, that's an interesting piece. And I think you nailed that spot that spot on. And I think with wisdom, one of the ways to get there too, when we look at failure, is how you how you handle that, integrate it, right? Because when we hit failure or we fail at something, we have several options. You know, the survival instinct, the protective mechanism is to kind of shift blame, justify, not learn from it, right? It's to blame it on circumstances, even if there is something to take away from it. The way to get wisdom is to sit with that failure, you know, long enough where you can understand like, hey, here are the takeaways, here are the lessons. And I think in the in the research world, they often categorize this as keeping um, information as or the uncertainty around the information from failure as personal or informational, right? And what do we mean by that? Personal means you take 
the failure to heart. You see it as a reflection on your inability to, you know, have the skill set to get the job done. It comes back as a hit on your identity. When you take failure as informational, it's just as the word says, like it gives you data. It tells you, hey, you might be a little weak at this point, right? Or we might need a little bit of um, of work to grow in this point. And I think the more we can keep you know, anything that occurs with failure is informational instead of a personal attack, the easier and quicker we can, you know, work up that wisdom curve because we know what works, we know what we may be weak at, and we know, you know, where to go. Yeah, I think that that's a really good um, way to put a, a capstone on it. So, is there anything else? I know we're kind of on the shorter side today around this topic of failure and self-compassion. Um, I guess one thing before I turn it back to you, Steve, is just, and it's going to sound very Zen, but I think that the more that you believe this and the more that this becomes your self-talk track, the better. Self-compassion is really about falling off the path, being like, damn, this path is hard. I'm giving it all I got dust yourself off and get back on the path. That is all that it is. It's not necessarily singing kumbaya to yourself. It's certainly not beating yourself up for falling. It's I just fell. Shit, this is hard. I'm getting back on the path. That is true if you are an athlete, if you're a business person, if you're a physician, if you're creative. And it's also true for living life. Getting through illness, getting through divorce, getting through mistakes made, getting through loss. It is really hard, whether we're playing a finite game or the infinite game. If you care deeply, you make yourself vulnerable, and being vulnerable is hard. So self-compassion is what provides you with the ability to keep getting back on the path. You know, people always talk about self-discipline to get on the path, and you absolutely need it, but you also need self-compassion because otherwise you're going to burn yourself off. So my talk track is this is hard. Of course it's hard. I'm giving it what I got. It can hurt at times. I'm just going to get back on the path. And as we alluded to earlier, it's a lot easier to do that when you've got a good community of people trying to walk the same path with you. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line, and I agree with that completely, the bottom line is you're going to do better if you're in the game over the long haul. And self-compassion like being kind to yourself allows you to stick in the game for a much longer haul. Often we walk around with this idea, again, especially in sport, but in other areas where we push, where it, it's kind of the Michael Jordan attitude where, you know, it's all about wins are what, what matter. Like don't, like failure is this great en enemy. You have this fear of losing, so you 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 kind of project and uh, carry you over the top. But anything fear based, anything that relies on like again that threat to get you going, it's just so short term and so hard to deal with over the long haul. And it makes it so much easier with you just fall off the path. You know, and then you stay off that path. 
I'm in my head right now. There are dozens of examples going through it on on athletes and coaches who are like the hard ass of like no compassion. Failure is the devil, the enemy, and they succeed for a while. But like once they come against the big thing that they can't get past or some big challenge in their life or on the, you know, on the sporting field, often like they end up not being able to get back, not being able to stay in the game. So be kind to yourself. Like it allows you to get up, stay in the game. And as we know, if you stay in the game long enough, your chances of success, your chances of having meaning all go up several fold. 100% man. I love it. I couldn't agree more. I think that that is, um, that's a good place to end. So Failing, it's not about failing forward. It's not about failing back. It's not about failing being bad. Failing is just a part of finite games. And if you can be self-compassionate and you can use some of the things we talked about, well, you'll stay on the path for the infinite game. And that's the game that matters most. So um, really glad that we could have this conversation. It feels like a really nice, tidy bow tie to our last two podcasts. So if you haven't listened to those, you might want to check them out. We talked about goal setting two episodes ago. One episode ago, we talked about being consistent. We ended that with saying, well, what do you do when you fail at consistency? Hopefully, we address that today. Um, So we hope it's a nice little trio to get you all started on the path um, towards whatever finite games you're playing in 2022. So with that, we'll catch you next week with another episode of the Growth Equation podcast. We're picking up steam, which is great, and it's really exciting. We're seeing download numbers go up. We're seeing more traction, more people talking about the show. So if you like the show, please share it with a friend. Share your favorite episode with someone who you think uh, would resonate with it. Word of mouth is the name of the game for us, for our books, for our podcasts. And um, we really appreciate your support. So until next week, be well, and we'll catch you then. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.